Do you know the number one obstacle to financial success? Time or lack of it. Without enough time, you can't learn efficiently, plan effectively, or focus on the right strategies. That's why Real Vision offers you a simple and efficient way to gain expert knowledge, use time-saving market tools, and leverage the brain power of our community to help you succeed faster. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free. Has the real estate market bottomed? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Ben Miller, co-founder and CEO of Fundrise. Hi, Ben. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. And welcome to everyone who may be joining us, coming right in hot from Rao's live show with Hunter Horsley that just wrapped. They were talking about the Bitcoin ETF and all the implications. If you missed it because you were busy, don't worry, you can watch it back. If you had questions that didn't get answered, had a ton of stuff they had to get through, don't worry, Raul's going to be doing a drinks AMA tomorrow. uh, So you can roll up there with your questions. And we're going to be having a ton of conversation and courses around this big development as it plays out. So we will keep you posted. Just head over to to realvision.com and you can follow it all. But we had a lot of news in general this week, Ben, not just that ETF, but uh, new inflation data out today, which was a little higher than expected. It seemed like I had people once again thinking about the direction of interest rates. What are you expecting? What's your outlook for rates? Yeah, so I expected there to be some volatility in CPI because the biggest driver of CPI now is real estate. It's mm. basically came in at 0.5%, right? So it was the largest contributor to the sort of the, the higher print that everybody expected. And the reason it was higher is because the structure of CPI is so, it's so esoteric and lagging. So real estate basically in, in real life has zero inflation, right? You're talking about um, rents 12 months to today are flat and rents are the best proxy for inflation. And because of the way that CPI is designed, it uses owner-occupied equivalent and that basically is made up of a lot of, of different factors. And so it's super lagging. So even though CPI is coming in hot because of uh, real estate, it's actually the opposite. It should be way under. And that's basically, I think that will show up in the numbers over the over this year. And we'll continue to see CPI moderate. And that will basically bring down rates like everyone originally expected. And that's really interesting because people have been kind of scratching their heads and thinking about, so if 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 it's if you believe that inflation that inflation numbers are exaggerated to the upside because they're not really reflecting what's going on in real estate and they're lagging what is happening with the real estate market where are we in the cycle i mean i, I think we're at the bottom i mean it's i've been through multiple real estate cycles 08 was obviously a lot worse but in every case basically uh the primary driver was interest rates. Interest rates is the is the biggest driver of real estate. And interest rates are essentially peaked in October 2023. Like it was they got, they got really high. And since then we've seen enormous relief, right? Treasuries have come down 100 pips and the Fed came out with a dot map forecasting three cuts. And, they, and I think personally, I believe just listen to the Fed, believe the Fed market is forecasting five to 
six, but I think even three is a material break from the past. It's a it's a almost fifteen uh, percent decline in in um, in rates. And the most important thing is to recognize that almost one for one, when rates fall, prices go up, and when prices and when when rates rise, prices uh, go down. So we when rates were at zero, you know the market was just go go, and and the real estate market is a slow moving industry. So it, even though the public markets have pulled that forward and rallied at the end of 2023, the real estate markets will probably take the next 12 months to really get back to momentum. That's so interesting. So we have a chart I hope we can pull up because when we think about things bottoming, I think it's important to talk about what that bottom looks like, right? Is it So if we are at the bottom, do we? is it sort of an agonizing bump along the bottom or could we see this swing back up? Does, it, does that recovery look more like, if not a V, at least a, an attractive U. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I'm a private market investor, invest in real estate, we build companies, invest in companies, and everything in the private market is slow. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a get rich slow business. And so the public markets, people trade every second, right? And I'm talking about, you know, I think about investments over multiple years. So if you think about over, over a few years, you can look at this. So this chart basically shows interest rates, basically interest rates um, inverted. So basically on the on the left, you see how interest rates basically were high, and that caused basically prices to fall. So high high. This basically is this the the yield curve flipped. Mm -hmm. Easier to see it um, inverted, and basically as rates went up, prices came down, and and. I think there's no question that we're at the bottom in terms of, of terms of where the Fed's headed. And the, from here forward, it's loosening, right? If you think of it as tightening versus loosening, the left has been tightening. And on the right, in the future, it's, it's, it's loosening. And so rates, when are at zero, they went to five and a quarter percent. They're likely to end up halfway in between. So you're seeing on this chart, right, that the recovery probably puts you halfway between where we were and where we are today. Mm. So, you know, I mean, real estate fell about 50% multiples. Another way to look at this is that uh, a real estate asset prices on a multiple based on the, on the interest rate. And so real estate multiples fell 50%. And I think they'll make back half their multiple compression over the next 24 to 36 months. And it could be faster. I'd, I'd be surprised if it's much faster than 24 months. But 24 months, that to me is like actually a really short time frame in real estate. Yeah, exactly. When you're, when, you know, when you're talking about a slower moving. So when, if the, if the Fed is going to cut rates, even if it's just three, are we anticipating it's because we're moving into recession? And, no. and then, then, <laughs> yeah, because that's important, right? Because if we're in a recession, I would think then you have to worry about occupancy and things like that. So how, no, actually, a recession would be a gift to the real estate industry. It's counterintuitive, but mm -hmm. essentially, if I look at multifamily, which is our primary focus, apartments are by far the biggest, residential the biggest part of the real estate industry. Um, as, as rates, basically, as rates come down, the price goes up. That's just, it's a simple correlation generally, right? In 2008, when there was this 
terrible recession, right? Millions of foreclosures, millions of unemployed. It was really a, a terrible recession. Rents fell through that downturn 4%. 4%, okay? The, so the gains in, from interest rates moving were much greater. And so most of the real estate industry is praying for a recession because <clears throat> it would pull interest rates down, pull inflation down, and it would have a, you know, a muted effect on occupancy because mostly when people are trying to choose between uh, you know, going to movies or spending money on Netflix, like they're going to spend money on a house. They're going to they're live, they're going to live somewhere. They're going to rent, not buy. And that basically is like a consumer staple food, grocery stores and, and, and housing usually does well or much better in a recession. And so the three, you know, soft landing has been actually really hard on real estate because it's kept rates higher for longer. Mm-hmm. That's really important to know that it is that rate story that's dominant, uh, as opposed to other situations. You know, we're going into earnings season and you're always thinking about, depending on the company, right? You know, uh, lower borrowing costs are good, but if the economy's falling apart, it could hurt their earnings and profits. And so you've got to, you know, that's why everyone's looking for Goldilocks. Very interesting to know that in real estate, it's really the rate side of the equation. That's super, super important. Yeah. Um, that, that's a that's a big change. So Ralph asking, and it's on my mind as well, what sectors, so if we're bottoming, are there are there certain areas that will look more attractive or provide more opportunity here uh, in the real estate sector? Yeah, well, so I, I actually have some charts in this, but I'll, let me describe it. Basically, all all markets are priced based on supply and demand, right? So simple. And so in 2021, there was an oversupply of money. Here it is, too much money. I'll go, go, go back up to that. There was oversupply of money and prices got really high. And since then, because of the tight monetary policy, there's an undersupply of money, right? It's way lower than it was. Here you see, looks like about half of 2018. So that's basically an undersupply of money, which means there's less transactions happening. So, there, so, so basically, if you think of the two sides of the of the of a, of a market, you have supply and demand. There's always demand for money, but the amount of money can really vary depending on Fed policy and um, the speed of the economy. So that's basically half of the equation. You go to the next half, it's assets. So you have the amount of money and the amount of assets, and that sets the price. Hmm. So basically, what's happened is all of that. Um, stimulus and cheap money during during the pandemic drove up the supply of assets. They built more multifamily. They built more everything. And so right now there's an oversupply of assets and an undersupply of money. So you basically have two different uh, disequilibria, right? Because you have too little money and too many assets. So the price is basically totally out of whack. You sort of like have, have abnormalities and over time, money will normalize and assets will normalize. But the interesting thing is because money's so tight, people stop building. Yeah, I was gonna say, because what we hear all the time is there's a shortage of homes. There's sort of a, a, a demographically a shortage of homes. Right, and so basically with the tightening of money, construction lending basically went away. And so what you're seeing is, is that the, the amount of things under construction is diminished and it's falling. And that basically means that two years from now, there'll be an undersupply of new, new homes, new construction, 
And so you, the, the amount of assets in market will actually go from being oversupplied to undersupplied. So you basically have like three ways to make money in this environment. You basically can bet that the tightness in money will normalize and that will basically cause prices to go up. You have an oversupply of assets and eventually that will normalize. And actually you may be in an environment where you have an undersupply of assets. So you have sort of a triple, triple uh, supply and demand mismatch that could, is why real estate has gotten really attractive, especially uh, multifamily. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So uh, it's interesting. You mentioned before, you know, it does well in a recession. People in in, in the industry are praying there's a recession because it's going to, I would think that that would be interesting for people from a poor portfolio point of view. How underweight real estate do you feel people are? I feel like it was so, there was so much concern. It was such a terrible situation. So much concern about office space, commercial real estate was a ticking time bomb that was going to kill the whole system. I mean, there's a lot of negative sentiment and we got a lot of worried questions about commercial real estate, you know, throughout the last two years, year and a half. Where do you think from a sentiment point of view versus positioning the market is? Is that an opportunity? Yeah, exactly. It's it's wonderful. Uh, negative sentiment is a tremendous signal to buy. I mean, like in the beginning of 2023, when everybody was so negative, that was a signal. And so the negativity in real estate is a sign that it's it's actually attractive. And then also when things get really hot or really cold, people stop making distinctions. So good stocks and bad stocks all go up when things are really hot and when things are really bad, they both go down. But in, in normal times, you start seeing you have a quality dispersion. So good things get priced better than bad things. So today, real estate office, I think is very negative. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about that because, and I think that grabs the headlines a lot right. talking about com commercial real estate, which is interesting. So you think that's still- No question, no question. I, I office is has uh its office is a lot like malls Oof. where it took 20 years it's i mean they're still still going through transition and you know retail used to be a huge part of the industry and it's basically now kind of a stepchild people don't talk about it as much mm. uh, that's going to happen to office it's going to go through a decade maybe two decades long uh struggle and and sure there's opportunities if you're if you're a, a sharpshooter but I, I believe that uh, what's different between, between office and residential or industrial is residential and industrial have innate long-term GDP drivers, right? As the GDP grows, there's more demand for, for industrial and, and residential. As work from home drives, you know, technology drives work from home, there's more demand for residential. As e-commerce drives, um, retail spending, more demand for industrial. So there's there's a lot of drivers on the positive side for a lot of the commercial real estate sector, much less so in office. Exactly what the innate long-term, you know, uh, sort of equilibrium is for office is, is I think, I mean, I know it's unknown. And I think it's worse, it's much worse than people expect because essentially, it's, there's been a lot of, of um, delaying actions to prevent the downturn, prevent it really from mispricing down. The Fed doesn't want to see the office sector collapse. 
while they're in the process of trying to bring down inflation. They want to they let the balloon, let the air out of the balloon slowly. And so that means basically it'll take a long time to, to get to bottom. Yeah. So for folks who have exposure, so people in the market, first of all, is there office exposure that you're sitting on that you're just figuring out what to do with? Or are, are, are you more situated toward that multifamily industrial space? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've bought office buildings and I've run office buildings and I've always disliked them. So we, <laughs> our, our $7, $7 billion of real estate is it's made up of resident, not, I mean, almost all residential and a little bit of industrial. So, so you're I spared wondered. that, that albatross. <laughs> what about, what about the people, the players that are not, um, it doesn't sound like that that's a story that's going to improve anytime soon. We really yeah. haven't seen that distress, the defaults, the bankruptcies. Um, but it sounds like you're saying that, that they're still coming, just not yet. Yeah, I mean, they're inevitable. If you look at the transactions that have happened, they've been rare. Typically, they're pricing at 60 to 80% discount to where the price was in 2019. And so you're talking about all the equities wiped out and half the loan is wiped out. Mm. And this sort of, that matters for two reasons. Obviously it means lenders and, and, and owners are gonna lose a lot of equity, but also, and, and lenders are levered, right? So for, the, for them to lose 50% of value means they've lost, you know, much greater than just their, because a typical lender is levered 10 times. But the, the other point is that when that office trades and I now own it, at $100 a square foot when it was $400 a square foot in 2019, I'm going to charge a rent a quarter of what everybody else is charging. So it's going to drive down rents. And that's going to drive more office buildings into, into foreclosure. Ooh, yeah. that is a, who, who is traditionally, um, is this a, a problem for those small and medium-sized banks or are these lenders elsewhere in the private market? It's widespread. I mean, it basically the the biggest that's banks. That's not good for small and medium bank. We were worried about deposit walks and all that kind of stuff. That that just sounds awful if that's what's on their portfolios. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, this happened before. This there's sort of nothing new under the sun. Savings and loan, right? Wasn't that a savings and loan crisis? Yes. Basically, the reason it was a savings and loan crisis, which caused the biggest real estate crisis, actually worse than two thousand eight the Resolution Trust Corporation, RTC. The reason that happened is because inflation in the 70s caused all the banks that had all these all this paper to go underwater. They, they were basically that paper, you know, all their loans that were that were, had been done at 5% were now, you know, had negative, basically had lost half their value. So thousands of banks basically ended up with all these all these bad loans. And those ended up being foreclosed on and ended up being owned by the government ultimately. Mm. And that was how Sam Zell got wealthy. I mean, he bought, and that, it was for, that crisis started in 1981 and the Resolution Trust Corporation didn't get formed until 1991. So it was, and then the saying in real estate was stay alive till 95. <laughs> and so it wasn't until 1995 that they started to come out of it. So it was like a really long period of denial. 15 year, about 15 years. Were, now you've got to think that yeah, things sorry. are going to work faster this time because a we have that history book, but maybe I not. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it was clearly a mistake, and anybody who knows the history 
the mistake the government made was to, they ignored it from 1981-1987, and then Black Monday on 1987 was the trigger. So I could easily imagine that we ignore it till the next downturn, and that's probably you know five to seven years from now. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So anybody, anybody dabbling in, in the banking sector, because we that's one of the things like, oh, it's coming back. You know, the banking index is coming back. Worth having a deep listen to those earnings calls and, and diving into some of those filings to see how much commercial real estate is on anyone's balance sheet. Because it sure. sounds like there's a reckoning to come. I want it that that it's such a it's such an important sector, Ben. So really appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk us through because it has implications for the broader economy. And I think it's something people talk about as a big monolithic asset and don't really sort of understand it in the way that you do. So that that's sort of super helpful, I think, for for us all to keep in mind when we're looking at this macro picture. Certainly here in the U.S. Um, but I want to switch gears because one of the really fascinating things is that you've got this really deep knowledge in commercial real estate and you're looking for opportunity there, it sounds like, and feeling like the bottom's in. And then you've got, you're, you're in, last time we talked, we learned in innovation now. You've got an innovation fund because you're really looking at and really into AI. So before we talk, um, I want to run a clip from a conversation David Madden had with uh, Pradeep Ravakumar today, who's at Carnegie Mellon. Have a listen to this and we'll talk on the other side. If you think about a lot of the jobs we do, including personal computers and, you know, we have Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, a lot of it are tools, technology that help us do that. But it's basically a lot of steps, very laborious. Um, and we can think of a lot of uh, the new wave AI models as essentially simplifying those steps. Um, and once we do that, that's such a huge unlock for humanity that I think it'll create more jobs rather than just destroy jobs. Because there are many companies that just won't be feasible using basically our current set of technologies. And so, for instance, if I have a very, very enterprising um, entrepreneur in India, say, and they do not have enough funding to have a team of 10 um, people. So this is a company that's never going to exist. But with these tools, maybe it exists. Always mind-blowing, these, these uh, discussions. That full interview is available on our platform. If you are not a member, just head to realvision.com and find out how to join. So you can listen to this. Such an important aspect because it's we're all thinking about it personally how it intersects with us we're trying to think of it from an investment opportunity from a business perspective um ben how do you see how do you see ai what's your response when you hear them talking about that so i'm fortunate because i've sat at this intersection of technology and real estate for more than a decade fundrise has 100 almost 100 software engineers and i have 100 real estate professionals so i so i live with this kind of challenge day to day and basically, even though I appreciate what he's saying, I, ba I basically disagree. And that essentially, like, what is AI for? The answer is replacing people. Yeah. And, and that's exactly the opposite. He was like, it's to empower. But you, this is what you hear from technologists. And I think I, that's the worry. You know, yeah, like, I have built this with it. We built with it. We, we actually implemented it. We were still working on more implementations, but we have. Fundrise gives 30,000 investor relations tickets a month. 
And we built AI basically to start handling that and it reduced it, reduced the number of, of um, it successfully resolved 90, I think it was 92%, if I remember right, of the, of the tickets that come in that they get that for AI. So it's, it, and people like it better than the person because actually it's like faster to provide better documentation. So like, uh, if you think about what's happening with AI, because I think the hard part is there are not that many applications yet that everybody has in their hand, is the way technology works is it starts in the hardware, this time it started with NVIDIA, moves up to the sort of middleware, which is in this case, open AI. But if you go back to like the internet, right? The internet started with like Cisco networking technology, telecom, and went up to the this middleware was like Netscape. Yeah. When Netscape came out, people were like, well, what is the internet for? And you never imagined it would be Google. Yeah. You remember this? I know people in our chat remember this. Do you remember this, everyone? I talked to my kids about this and their just mind explodes. It just can't even like they, you know, like you turn into a dinosaur before their very eyes. It's amazing. Yeah, or the iPhone, like the iPhone gets invented and people think it's the phone and it unlocks Uber and Instagram. Yeah, the internet, another the functionality of the internet. Huh? So but, we're on that arc right now. Right. Right, the applications or the things that people actually use it for lag. It it takes it'll be another year or two, but they're coming. They'll be unintuitive. They're like, at first, like this is what it's for. But the I can't basic work challenge, it. yeah, yeah, the basic challenge. Internet basically was about communication, but AI is about intellect, reasoning, and so we can take that stuff away. So as opposed to giving it to a junior person, admin, an intern, maybe even a junior. A, a business associate, you can basically give it to AI and it'll work its way up. So it's, I mean, it's definitely going to have huge effects on productivity. We're already seeing it in terms of our growth. We don't have to hire as many people as we thought we did. And so it's it's going to have, you know, I think some large negative effects on 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 the workforce. And then, and then it'll, I do think in the long term, it'll have a positive effect. But the disruption, you know, like what happened to manufacturing, mm. if that disruption I mean, you lose a job as you gain them, and there's and it may not be one for one in this instance. Or the nature of it is so different, and we're not having any intelligent conversations about what the future of work work looks like <laughs> or jobs look like. Um, mm -hmm. There have been some people toiling away at this for years. Every once in a while, I get invited on a geeky panel where we talk about this, but for the for the most part. The people who need to be having these conversations are not having these conversations. And I know that is a concern that is sort of across everything. What do you, from a, from a business, from an investing perspective, um, where do you see, how, or how do you decide where you want to invest? Because you're investing in startups, correct? You're investing in AI startups. Yeah, I, I wouldn't describe them as startups. We went and invested in sort of mid to late stage tech companies. Right, right. And our companies are, I mean, Half our companies have more than a billion dollars in revenue, so that they're just not public. Mm. So, so, um, so we ended up building a portfolio in 2023 that just blows my mind how how good we did. It's like beyond my expectations. And so you can you you can look at it as basically again going through this sort of like hardware middleware application. You know, we didn't invest in hardware because that's too capital intensive, but the middleware, the AI companies, we invested in some of the AI companies and then we invested in the applications and the applications are usually, you know, design, like AI driven design. And that's, we mm. invested in Canva, you know, 
there's uh, AI-driven defense technology. We invested in Anduril. Like, there's there there are basically applications you can invest in or infrastructure. And we invested in both, like the software infrastructure, like a, a, like a DBT Labs and things that probably most people don't know anything about, and the applications. And what you want to do is, and this is true with venture. The key is to own the best company in the yeah. in the space, like the power law. Like the best, the best company. Best. It's a hundred times better than this, you know, the worst company, really infin infinitely better. And so we was basically, the thing about venture that's unintuitive, actually, you actually know who the best companies are. People don't realize that if you're a technology professional, you know who the leaders are. The hard part is getting access to the investment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always, that's, that's a trick. the work. Yeah. And and I know you talked a little bit about how you're able to do that, which is which is amazing. Um, are do you see chips? It's interesting when you're talking about, by the way, the hardware middleware application. I feel like there's a lot of that happening in blockchain too. You know, since we're talking about the the Bitcoin ETF, um, a lot of the folks who are working in there, it's on a similar track where it's so hard to use and you just don't get it until until you do. So there's a, there's a track on a lot of technology that arc is happening. Um, are you concerned about chips and compute power as a problem for AI? No, I mean, that not really. The reality and is that the, the human behavior lags the technology. It's actually the bottleneck is getting people, developing an application that, that would get people to change their behavior. Mm. You know, the idea that all of us walk around staring at our phone, like that was not a behavior that existed before the applications that basically retrained us. And I think that's gonna be, there'll be some brilliant entrepreneurs who figure out things that probably the older you are, the crazier they sound to you. And they end up changing how, especially the rising generation, like my parents still shop at department stores. So it's, a lot of the behavior that changes. They can find them, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> talk about the like coming full circle. Talk about the dying of the mall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, that's the but so like, you know, whatever that 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 seventeen year old kid is going to end up doing something with AI that we think is like doesn't make any sense, and it ends up changing the world. And that's it. Our job is basically to hopefully participate in those investments. Yeah. That's why you have to have your uh, stay in touch with the young people in your life. They are your, <laughs> they are your like litmus marketing group uh, <laughs> that you have to bounce things off of to see if they they make sense to them because they're going to be the ones who adopt it on a wide scale for sure first probably and then drag us along. But this is why we're learning tribe, right? This is why we have to stay stay current. And guy, yes, you do know what I'm talking about. Someone's claiming to be not have any idea. Uh, ben, about this world we, we're talking about pre-internet. Um, I do want to give out a shout to, um, but, but you know, this this group is very cheeky. I want to give out a shout to somebody who, um, I got to find it. Um, I think it was Michael said, um, banks always make the same mistakes, uh, but they get bailed out or bought out, you know, by the government. Um, and I, I think that's really true. It was a, a very, I thought it was a very wise. Oh, here it is, Michael. Banks make mistakes over and over, just different ones, and the feds bail them out or sell them out, um, which is yeah. probably pretty accurate. Uh, let me just contest that for a minute because that's definitely true. But part of the reason that's true is that in 1992, they did the opposite. Their Re Resolution Trust Corporation was, they foreclosed on, I think it was 8,000 banks or something. No, sorry, 4,000 banks. They foreclosed on the banks, they foreclosed on the assets. 
and they took and they basically the government ended up owning I think five hundred thousand properties or something like that. Half I was at the time half a trillion dollars in nineteen eighty you know nine dollars or something. So and so and that was disaster, total disaster. And so all the policymakers who were sitting around the room in two thousand eight knew that was a disaster. They were there. And so they basically bailed out the banks, which obviously I didn't like it. Nobody, probably almost nobody liked. And so like 10 years from now, when it happens- It's always the alternative, right? It's easy to say- Well, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You get the alternative, that was terrible. And we already knew that didn't work. Well, I, uh, you know, like we saw um, when they took over GM, they they took the dip financing and, and took the equity. So you can, there's other ways you can do it. This is what yeah. a private sector person would have stepped in and, and bought something with their money. They still own Fannie and Freddie. So yeah. <laughs> by the, the way, that is, GM, that GM was orchestrated by a group of private, if I remember correctly, that takeover, there was a group of private people who worked on that for the government though, but there was a task force, an auto task yeah, force yeah. that worked on that. I remember at the time covering it and they were very sm savvy and smart about it. By the way, everyone said it wouldn't work. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, person, they, every they single him, person said that Radner yeah. was, he was a private sector yeah. guy. He yeah. was from Quadrangle. They brought him in. He knew exactly how to do it. And he had he a couple was, of hedge fund guys who left their yeah. job to, to do just, that. And he brought the hammer down. Yeah. And, he, and it ended up being good for this. For the, So I think there are other ways. But my point is that like the mistakes of the, the, when you make a mistake, you don't make the same mistake again normally. Yep. And so they didn't make that mistake, they made a different mistake. And so I assume they'll make a new mistake this time when they're dealing with the, the banks in how to deal with the office problem. Yeah, and these are, and to be fair, it's easy to take pot shots, but these are very complex problems and they're, they're like a, a host of bad choices. And so you're trying to make the less bad choice in order you know, to have larger stability. So it's easy, it's easy for us to criticize. Um, ben, always a fantastic conversation when you're on. Thank you so much. I just love it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great stuff. Um, and thanks, everyone. Remember, uh, this is Education Month on Real Vision. So whether you are trying to understand what the Bitcoin ETF means for you, and we had a really active chat. I saw you all talking about it. Um, or if you're just trying to navigate the confusing macro environment, we have you covered on both fronts, as you know. In fact, uh, there is a really great gift we are dropping tomorrow for Real Vision members. So log on, look for it, look for the announcement. They're probably going to Blast something about it, and Rao will be sure to talk about it tomorrow. If you have not registered for your Real Vision membership and you are on YouTube, you've got to register for the Real Vision ID so that you can access this. It's free and it's really cool. Um, as Rao has been saying lately, uh, there's a lot going on in finance. We need to make sure that we do not F this up. So Rao's going to be back tomorrow with the drinks AMA. Come ready to have some fun um, and have a good weekend. I'll see you all on Monday. Take care and good luck on there. I've had an idea for the last three years. Something's been in my head and it's taken me a long time to get there, but now it's coming. The Real Vision Marketplace. The idea behind the marketplace is all of the people that you know and love, the research companies, we can all feature them on Real Vision, on the platform to make it easy for you to find the research that you want from third parties that have trusted sources. We curate this marketplace specifically for you from your requests. And what's also amazing is because this is Real Vision and there's a whole bunch of us, we get to negotiate incredible special discounts for Real Vision members. So it's a really unique way to build your financial world where you can get the research that you want 
from all different sources that you trust all in one place. And this is just the start of where we're going. So go to realvision.com forward slash marketplace, check it out and see what's going to work for you, how to leverage the best talent in the world, the brightest minds to create the biggest opportunities for 2024 and beyond. Enjoy it. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.